Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. All right, here we go. Let's let's dive into uh, Ephesians chapter 4 today. Let's start here. Um, this is probably going to relate most to uh, the females in the room. You're probably going to know what I'm talking about a little bit more, but I experienced it as a, as a kid too, and so maybe you did. Um, did you ever have the experience where you were getting dressed, your friends were coming over to pick you up, and you were going to go out? You're, you're living at home, you're maybe 14, 15, 16 years old. You get dressed, and while you're getting dressed, you're, you have this thought. I don't know if this outfit will make it out the door. Anybody have that experience? I don't know if this outfit will be approved of if I can get by probably dad. Okay, that's probably who you had to get by because dads are, are uber conservative and, and very sensitive to these kinds of things. I did not know this until I had a daughter. And she's only a little over one, but already I can sense the dadness coming out. And so you get dressed and you walk out and dad sees you and dad knows that people are coming by to pick you up. And he looks at you and he knows and he says to himself, something's going down. I need to find out what's going on. And he looks at you and what does he say? He says, you're not going out of the house dressed like that. You all have heard it apparently. I actually have heard it and I'm a dude and and that tells you anything about my teenage years. Uh, I used to wear these ginormously baggy clothes. Uh, In fact, uh, when I was 15, you know, I was smaller than I am now, but I used to shop at a big and tall store. And so... Actually, in that kind of sense, my dad, you're not leaving the house dressed that way, son. And so what happens is, is, is dad, you know, jumps up and says, look, you're going to go to your room. You're going to get dressed from your eyebrows to your ankles. And I'm going to come with you, black socks and flip-flops and all. And you're not going anywhere without me. And, and then, then if, it's a, you know, if it's a girl or a guy, typically the response is, dad... Everybody is dressing like this. In fact, Dad, I'm actually dressed more conservatively compared to the people I'm going to be hanging around with, which doesn't help Dad's mind. And so Dad says, all right, here's what's going to happen. Let me me just let you know. If you want to go with your friends, you're going to go to your room and you're going to change into something else. If you don't want to go with your friends, go to your room and wear that. But if you want to leave this house, you got to change. And so the, the teenager storms off to the, to the bedroom and, you know, their old man doesn't have a clue. He, I live in a prison. This is a prison. Some of you, you've heard that from your kids. Why do you run a prison? And you go in, and if you want to leave, you stare at your closet, and you think, okay, I've got to find something that is acceptable to my friends, but at the same time, my dad will let me leave the house. And you change, because you want to go hang out with your friends. And if you can't relate to that, maybe you can relate to this, and then we'll dive in uh, to our passage today. Have you ever, probably as an adult, have you ever been getting ready, let's say, for work in the morning? And you have this experience. You're completely dressed. You know, you've got all your clothes on. You've got your phone out. You're ready to take your morning selfie in the mirror, you know, and post it on Instagram or Facebook or tweet it, whatever you do. 
and you, you've, you've shut the door. You're like ready to leave. And the last second, you kind of look at yourself and you think, I'm not really feeling what I have on. Anybody had that experience? Raise your hand. Like, I'm not feeling it. Last second before I got to go. If I, and you're thinking, oh, I don't have time for this. I'm going to be late to work. And so you start praying, especially if you live here. Dear God, please do not let there be a bridge lift or traffic somewhere. Just phantom traffic that just appears. Please, God, let it just be clear sailing. And so, so you rip off that first outfit because you're angry. You know, you, you throw it on, you don't lay it down, you throw it on the floor because you're mad at your clothes now. And so you start scanning, you know, what's clean, what's available, let me give it the sniff test, all right, I can wear that. You change once, you change twice, now you're on your third or fourth outfit, finally you just give up, I've got to go. You get in your car, you walk into work, you're late, and you say, man, traffic was horrible. Right, it was traffic. It wasn't the fact that you tried on four different outfits before you left the house. It was traffic. That's, traffic is a great excuse if you're late, especially, like I said, if you live around here. Because bridges can go up at any time. Just, oh, I'm stuck. Yeah. Um, and, and you're praying. You're like, man, I hope I, at least I don't look like, a, like garbage. And then somebody says, you look great today. And you decide it was all worth it. <laughs> My lateness. The fact that I've got a whole closet full of clothes laying in the floor, that I tried on every, it was all worth it because I look fantastic. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've had that experience like just last second. I, in a sense, not to the extent that, you know, we could make a one-to-one correlation, but in a, to extent, this is what Paul is telling us in the last half of the book of Ephesians. It said, Ephesians, written by a guy named Paul. Paul is a leader in the early church hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Jesus has, has ascended into heaven, and shortly after that, Paul kind of comes on the scene. He starts out as a Pharisee, real, real um, uh, against the Christian movement, meets Jesus, life has changed. And now he's, he's planted several churches, one of which is this church in Ephesus. He's moved away, done some other stuff. Now he's in a Roman prison writing back to this church um, a, a letter that is incredibly um, just, just real and authentic. And, and if you haven't been you know, tuning in and, and here the last 12 weeks or something like that, basically, let me give you a real quick review of the book. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about what Jesus has done in us, for us, through us. That he has taken uh, the two Jews and Gentiles, he's made them one. He's given us his love. He wants to do immeasurably more than we can imagine. Uh, it's all this glorious grace and God has, has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's just awesome. And then we get to chapter 4 and Paul says, all right. In light of all that God has done, here's how you should live. Here's how you should walk in light of what God... Not here's how you should walk to earn chapters 1 through 3, but because chapters 1 through 3 are true in your life, here's the result. Here's what your life should look like. And last week, we talked about how God has given the church leaders to help the church do that. Walk in what He has already given us, the light that He has shown us. And today, it's just going to get really, really practical uh, in our passage. And if we had a main thought today, like, you know, 
some people, I want to know what's the one thing I need to take away when I walk out today. Here's what kind of, I hope, everything's loosely built around. is this one kind of thought. Uh, if you're taking notes on the back of your program, you can write this down. When you know who you are, and you might even write down when you know whose you are. When you know who you are, when you know whose you are, you will know what to do, or you'll know how to live. When you know who you are, and you know whose you are, you'll know what to do, you'll know how to live. And so here we go, Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading verse 17 all the way through the second verse of chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, scriptures are on the screen. But better than that, if you have your smartphone with you, download the Uversion app. If you don't have it, it's the Bible app. Um, there's a little link in there that says live when you kind of go to the menu. Click that and search for the word vertical. You can find not only a place to take notes, the scriptures are already there for you, but you can also share on your social network, Twitter, Facebook, let people know, hey, I'm at Vertical Church. We're talking about this. It's really good. You should join me next week. All right, here we go. Verse 17. Paul says this, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, this is actually kind of funny. It's kind of humorous because Paul is telling his Gentile readers, at this point in the church, there are Gentiles in the church in Ephesus. And he's telling his Gentile readers, don't live like Gentiles. Um, if, in, in, the, in the culture of that day, uh, especially in the Jewish world where Christianity springs out of, there were two kinds of people in the whole world. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. Didn't matter where you were from. Didn't matter the color of your skin. Didn't matter what language you spoke. If you were not a Jew... You were a Gentile. And Paul comes in Ephesians and he tells us, look, it's kind of like what Jesus does is he takes the two races of humanity and he creates a third one out of it called Christian. And so there's this revolution that's happening in the culture where Jews and Gentiles are, are having their identities changed and creating sort of a third race of people called Christian. And so Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, don't live like non-Christians. Don't live like Gentiles. Your life should be distinguishable and different. And he says, he, he begins here and he goes for the next couple of verses telling us what it looks like to live like a Gentile. And the first thing he says is, in the futility of their thinking. Now, some people believe that Christianity is all about getting your body to do certain things and not do other things. You know, do this, go to church, uh, give in the offering, pray and read your Bible. Don't do these things. Don't lie, don't cheat, um, don't, don't smack your neighbor upside the head. You know, those kinds of things. A lot worse that we could make our own list of do's and don'ts. But, the, but Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, look, here's what I need you to understand. Don't live like the Gentiles because the Gentiles, their head is broken. <laughs> That's what he says. It, literally, their, their, their thinking is wrong. They don't think right. Their thinking is messed up. Their, their, their mind doesn't work right. So don't live like them. In other words, behavior modification, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, doesn't really work because the behavior is not the problem. The behavior is a symptom of the problem. 
the problem, he begins drawing it down. And in the next verse, he's going to hit the core of the problem. But he says, at first, you know, closer to the central issue of the problem is their thinking's wrong. They don't think right. And he goes on. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. Have you ever, when's the last time you were in a dark room? Like you went in the room and turned the lights out. What could you see? Nothing. Because you're in the dark. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Look, they can't see because they're in the dark. In, In their lives, they are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And then finally, he gets to the core issue. He says the ignorances that are in them do or because of the hardening of their hearts. That's the core issue. It's not about do this and do that, don't do that. It's not about behavior modification. He starts with the mind and he keeps going in or closer, closer, and closer till he gets to the core issue and he says, look, the, 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 the problem is their futile thinking, their, the darkened understanding, the separation from God, the ignorance that is in them is because their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard. That's the problem. You know, the word heart appears in the Bible more than 900 times. And most of the occurrences deal with the heart as the, the, the center of your being. The core reality of who you are. It's the, the place in your life where everything intersects. It's where your emotions are found. It's where your understanding is found. It's the heart, not that beats blood in the chest, but the hearts that poets and philosophers talk about. It's the heart of understanding. And Paul says, the problem with the Gentiles is that their heart is hard. Their heart's hard. And so I just want to ask you a question as we kind of work our way through this passage. Is your heart hard or is it tender? Is it hard or is it soft? You see, a, a, a soft heart, a tender heart, when a, when a tender heart encounters the truth of God, the response is, yes, tell me, tell me the truth. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to experience you, God. You are God. I am not. You are the creator. I am not. I am not the center of my universe. So you tell me and I will submit. But the hard heart says no and kind of says it that way. No, it's not about what you want. It's what I want. It's not about the way you see it. It's the way I see it. It's not about what you think. It's about what I think. And so I just want to ask you again, is your heart the the core of who you are, the the center of your your life, the, the sum total of your existence? Is it hard or is it soft? And look what he goes on to say. He he describes it even more. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. Literally saying calloused over. Have you ever had a callous on your hand? Like you've been swinging a hammer all day. Maybe you work outside. Maybe maybe you're a blue collar. Maybe you work on the shipyard. And and the tools in your hand creates calluses. Uh, on your on your palms, a callus is basically the collection of dead skin because of pressure that's exerted on a point for a long time. And so Paul's saying, "Is your heart calloused? Is something going on in your life that's creating pressure on this part of your heart that's causing it to deaden?" 
and get numb? Is your heart hard? Is it calloused? Having lost all sensitivity, look what happens. There's the result of a hard heart. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. See, that's where he gets to the behavior. The behavior is going haywire because the heart is hard and calloused over. And basically what he says is, um, because their hearts are hard and calloused, they're, they're, they're naked, greedy, and doing naughty things. I mean, that's basically what he says. Naked and greedy and doing naughty things. Why? Because their hearts are hard and calloused. And so I want to make this real practical for us. I want, to, I want to drive it home in such a way that I think will really open our, open our eyes to what Paul is saying. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole passage again. I'm going to change a word in the passage. And it's not going to change the meaning. Uh, God is not going to be offended that I changed this word. Matter of fact, most uh, commentaries and scholars that I read as I was researching this, they do this. They talk about this. They say, look, here's where what Paul is, is hitting at. And so I want to change a word for you. Look what it, Let's start back in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live. And this is the word we're going to change. Not, not Gentiles. Look, let's do this. You must no longer live as the Americans do. I insist on it in the Lord. Don't live like the Americans do in the futility of their thinking. Their thinking is wrong. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So don't live like the Americans around you because they've lost all sensitivity and they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Don't live like the prevailing culture around you. Don't live like the Americans. Don't live like the Europeans. Don't live like the Virginians. Because their thinking is wrong and they have given themselves over, indulging in every kind of impurity. Look, it doesn't take a it doesn't take an ethicist to look at our culture and realize that our society is out of control. And I'm not even like trying to, to judge, you know, uh, what, every, what every preacher, you know, points at Hollywood and look at the movie and we're in a movie theater and that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, no, no, no. Look, just look at our culture. We are a culture of self-seeking, self-satisfying people. It's all about me. What I want to do, how I want to live my life, what I think is right, what I think is wrong. I am the judge and jury for the standard by which I will live my life. Me, 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 me. And so, so everybody in our culture might be dressed that way when they leave their house. But Paul says, not you. You're not leaving the house dressed like that. You're not wearing those clothes. Because, because our father, who isn't running a prison, and who isn't behind the times, who's not just some old man, our father loves us, and he has deposited into our lives every spiritual blessing. And what he's accomplished in us, he wants to accomplish through us to others whose hearts are hard and whose minds are are numb, but he, 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 he doesn't do that when we are dressed in our old clothes. 
when we're dressed like the Americans, figuratively speaking. And so he goes on to say, we need to change our clothes. We need to change our outfit. We need to go back in the bedroom and not leave until we're dressed appropriately for the mission that God has us on. And what does that look like? So that's what he, where he goes. So let's talk about Jesus. That's a lot like more uplifting of a conversation. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way, you lear- the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Just an observation here. We live in a world where everybody wants to change something about their life. Whether it's, whether it's weight or personality or career or hairstyle or whatever, everybody wants to change. I mean, we've got, we've got you know, self-help, self-improvement, self-actualization. Build your self-esteem. Get this magazine. Read this book. Watch this talk show. And you can, that, that works, okay? Just be honest with you. I'm not going to be like, that doesn't work at all. No, that has moderate success. That will work in, in curbing a little bit of your behavior. But it doesn't ultimately always work. Because, because the problem is not the behavior. The problem, again, what Paul says, is the heart. And only Jesus can change the heart. That's what Paul's going to say here. Only Jesus can change the heart. So you might work on behavior modification, curbing this, self-help, self-esteem, change this, don't do this. But if you really want to change... Start with the heart. Start with heart. That's what he says in the next uh, passage. So let's just jump in there. Look at this. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, you need a new self. (laughs) You need a new you, a whole new you, not the same, not the same old you with some new techniques to kind of manage the, the problems in your life. No, you need a totally, completely, thoroughly new you. Because if the core problem is a hard heart, the only solution can be you need a new heart. You need a new self. The Bible is full of this language talking about a new creation in Christ, a a, a born again experience, a, a new life, a regeneration. Because religion will always start with behavior modification. Change this, change that. You got to get better. You got to do better. You can't do that. You can do this. You got to do this. If you don't do that, then you don't do anything. Don't do this ever again. And what happens is we hear that message and we go, yeah, you know, I shouldn't really be doing that. Okay. I feel guilty. I'll, I'll try. I'll try not to do this. But what happens? Our heart's hard. Our mind is calloused. We're, we're given over to, to these urges and, and, and desires. So we end up doing this. But that's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. That's behavior modification. Jesus says, let me give you a new heart. Because your problem is not what you do. Your problem is at the core being of who you are. So let's start there. Let's give you a new heart. That's what Ezekiel prophesies in chapter 26 of, uh, yeah, chapter 36, verse 26 of Ezekiel when he says the, the words of God prophesying about Jesus, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. 
I will, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How can you follow the decrees and keep his laws if your heart is stone? No, you need a heart of flesh. It starts with a new heart, a new spirit. The, the passage where it says in the, be renewed in the attitude of your minds literally means be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have a new spirit and a new heart. And once you have a new heart and a new spirit, then we'll move on to what life looks like in the day-to-day practical world, which is where Paul goes in verse 25. But after he's taught us, put on or put off, put on, put off, put on. This is the same thing that Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, when he says, if, you, if anyone would follow after me, they have to deny themselves Put off the old self, deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. Take on the new self. This is what Jesus says. Put off, put on. It's the same idea. Putting off and putting on is is the continual pattern by which uh, followers of Jesus live their life. Every day, put off the old self, deny the old self, crucify the old self, put on the new self. Take on who Christ says we are. Because when we come to know Christ, we are genuinely new in Christ. We are brand new, though yet in a sense not totally new. In other words, God's still working on me. God's still working on you. That's the process of put off, put on. Put off, put on. Christian living requires this constant putting off and putting on of ourself. In Christ. And it's not optional. It's not like just for the really spiritually elite people or the professional Christians. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. It is the pattern by which we live our lives. We put off, we put on. I, uh, Lord, Lord, I see this part. Your Holy Spirit has revealed this to me in my heart. There's a place, there's a callus on my heart. It's hardened. Lord, would you put off? I, I, I put off. I don't want to. Lord, your Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. Give me the grace to, I don't want to, Lord, I put on your, your love. Give me a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft and tender towards you. And so when we approach the rest of our passage that way, when we approach the rest of this section, the rest of the, the, the reading requires no explanation at all. Just obedience. Just obedience, really. Uh, don't mistake me, it's not about legalism because legalism would say, okay, do those things, verses 25 and beyond, to earn God's love. Like, do those things to stay in a right relationship with God. But listen, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, you've been given a new heart. A new spirit has been placed inside of you. As a result of that, here's how you're going to live. When you live from that new heart, the love of, that's what he said. Look, let's just just read this. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what the next few minutes are going to look like. I'm going to read the whole passage to you, starting with verse 17 again. I'm going to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to read it to you in the message paraphrase. Because it just, when we get to verse 25, you're going to see this. It just shoots straight and there's no misunderstanding. It's clear what kind of life we live as a result of what God has done in our heart. And then we're going to to, uh, go into a time of communion together. And so while I read this, I just want to ask you, you know, let it, let it soak into your life and ask yourself, will I obey? Is my heart hard or is my heart soft? So here we go, verse 17, and I'm just going to read this. You can look at it on the screen behind me. 
Look at what he says. Imagine this is written to you. Imagine you get this letter and this is what you read. This is from a, a spiritual father of yours. Look what he says. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him. Been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then, take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Here's what I hope for you today. Three things. I hope that you would receive that. That you would receive that love. That you would receive the grace of God in your life. The newness of God in your life. Are you new today? Is your heart soft? Is your heart tender? Or is your heart hard? 
If you would say, I've been living the old self. Well, today you can become new. That's the love that Paul is talking about. The extravagant love. Have you met Jesus? He wants to give you a new life, a new self, a new heart. Number two, I hope that you understand that. For those of us who have been Christians for a few years, it's so easy to forget that. To, to not understand who we are in Christ. And so we go through our lives trying to measure up to all of the lists that we think will make us righteous and holy. But notice he doesn't get to, to God making us righteous and holy until first we receive a new heart. So rather than trying to focus on here's what I got to do to be holy, how about we keep our eyes on God? Give me a new heart. Fill me with your spirit. Because you said when that happens, it'll work itself out into how I live my life. Number three, I pray that you do that. You walk it out. You live your life making very practical daily decisions. God, where, where should I live? Where, what should I wear? Who should I date? Who should I marry? What should I do with my money? How do I raise my kids? What websites should I click on? What shows should I watch? Holy Spirit, would you lead me in very practical decisions. Don't lie to your neighbor because your neighbor is one with you so you're lying to yourself. Look at Jesus and how he loves us and go love others that way. Maybe today your walk has taken you away from Jesus. I've got good news for you. If you will stop and turn around, he's been following you and pursuing you the entire time. And today you can be made new. So here I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask you to respond in just a minute in communion. For those of you that are familiar with Christian church, you know what, probably know what communion is. If you're not, communion is the time that we gather together to remember the broken body of Jesus Christ, the blood that he poured out for us. Jesus promised us that when we do this, we are celebrating that reality and that we will one day do it with him when he returns. And so here in just a moment, we have a station set up here, here, and one in the back. I'm going to invite you to participate with us and observe communion together as a response to what God has said and God is doing in our lives. When you approach the table, there will be a little uh, thing of bread. Pinch off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup beside you, and, and, and take it that way. We don't really do the cup thing because we're close to being Baptists, so we can't have wine. People get real weirded out by that. This is grape juice, just in case you're wondering. We've also got, I think, a station right here. So we've got two here and two there. Just three total. Okay. Two here, one there. So I want you to take communion. And while you're doing that, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, while you're standing in line, because you're going to make a line, you're going to come down the aisles or go to the back. And while you're doing that, I want you to just look around. Just look around. And notice all the people that Christ has loved from different walks of life, different problems and circumstances, different issues, and He's loved them all personally and individually. And I want you to sing. 
I want you to sing because the words are going to be on the screen. And I want you to, to sing while you're standing in line because we have so much to sing about. We have someone to sing for. And you say, Pastor Josh, I'm not really a singer. No, no, no. That was the old you. The new you is a vocalist. The new you is a singer. Put on the new you today. Put on the new you. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us and then, and then I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to invite you to take communion with us. Keep in mind, look around at the people. They're all loved by God. And then sing with us. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have here today to go through this, this great letter of Ephesians together. God, we know that it's a, it's a timeless word. And because it's a timeless word, it's always a timely word. God, in our day when, when everything is trying to form and shape our identities, thank you for a writing like this that is helpful and practical and truthful that simply says there's an old you and a new you. And in Christ, we have been made new. Lord, help us remember that and to walk in that every day, practically, putting off the old, putting on the new. God, I pray for those in the room who may already be followers of you, but they don't know that reality of a new heart and a new spirit. God, I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would fill their lives and flood their hearts with love. For the people in the room, God, who, who are not connected to you, have not come into a relationship with Christ, today, God, I pray that, that as they participate with us, the reality of Christ would be made real and they would enter in to him. Inviting you to forgive their sin give them a new heart and a new spirit Holy Spirit help us to never forget who we are and whose we are in Jesus thank you so much for joining us today we always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life we all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.